0: The love of Jesus is amazing. Amen. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of John, chapter 2. The Gospel of John, chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 13. The children are dismissed. Kids don't. Sorry, I'm getting used to that. Praise the name of the Lord. The kids got nervous. They thought they were going to be in here for the whole time. They were like, we're going to miss kids' church. Bishop, what's up? Let us out. Praise the name of Jesus. The Gospel of John, chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 13. When you got it, say, so. So. And it says, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When 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 he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money changers' money and overturned the tables, And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew all what was in man? Father, we thank you so much for your word that is truth. We thank you for the reality, Lord God, that you show us. And we thank you because of your grace that we are able to worship you in this place today, God. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, even as your presence has been here, as we have lifted the name of Jesus. We just ask that the name of Jesus would continue to be lifted during the, during the preaching of your word, my God. I pray that our hearts Would be challenged and our hearts would be changed. I pray that we would be not only hearers of your word, but doers of it, God. Let us be faithful and responding to what you've called us to do as your people. God, we just surrender to you and ask you to give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Someone said, You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, please raise your hand. We want to make sure that everyone has an outline. Keep your hands up for a moment so we can be sure that... Everyone gets an outline as we communicate every week, or I remind you weekly. These outlines are important for two reasons. Number one, it is so that way you can take notes, you can follow along during the introduction of the message, and that's there for you. But then there are also some questions that are out that are in this outline that you can go along in the message and you can answer those. And the reason why that's important is because the second thing is that we get together weekly in what we call our Connect Life groups. And those are our small groups where we meet together in different homes, we break bread together have a meal together and after the meal or during the meal sometime thereabouts. What we do is we discuss the sermon. We go over the messages that we are hearing because we don't want to just hear the message and be convicted by it, but we also want to be held accountable to the message and we want to be able to grow. And so our prayer is that everybody who considers Faith a Fellowship, their home church, that you would find and get connected to a Connect Life group. And if you're not part of a Connect Life group, even if Faith a Fellowship is not, your, is not your home church yet, you're just, you know, kind of hanging around, seeing what's going on. Well, we encourage you still get connected so you can get to Know some of us a little bit better, and you can see Pastor Chad, who led us in communion, and he will get you connected. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are continuing on in our series, The Real Jesus, and we're in the Gospel of John, chapter two. And today we're going to talk about a message entitled Revelation and Response. And what Jesus continues to do is he continues to reveal himself, he continues to show himself, and then we're going to look at some different responses here. But in your outline, it says in the beginning of chapter two, which is what we what we dealt with last week, we see Jesus reveals himself as the source of life in the miracle. And I didn't share this so clearly last week, but in the miracle of turning the water to wine, what Jesus was doing was he was showing that he was the source of life because he took something that was normal and he did a miracle with it. Right? He did something amazing. That was his first sign that he communicated and his disciples believed is what the Bible said and that's what we learned last week that not everybody receives the benefits of the revelation of God's glory because some of us are not paying attention right just saying some of us are paying attention to so many other things in life God is revealing himself and what happens is we miss that and it's and you would think it's almost impossible to miss something but you know I want you to think for a moment and when, when you think about catastrophes, like, you know, I, I've been praying the last couple of weeks as we've prayed together here about our brothers and sisters that are being persecuted in other places. And the reality is that if there was no news, right, we wouldn't even know what's going on over there because it doesn't reach us except through what? Communication. We're not seeing it. And so it's possible for something that is catastrophic to not affect you directly. And when we're talking about the glory of God being revealed, you would assume no one could miss that, but many people miss that. Many people miss the revelation of God simply because they're not paying attention to what God is doing. And so it's important for us to pay attention to what the Lord is doing. Second paragraph there. The purpose of the Gospel of John is to provoke faith in Jesus, which results in man experiencing the life God intended for him to have from the beginning, which is eternal life, the knowledge of God. um, Last week or the week before... we communicated the memory verse to you just to bring it back to your memory, but it's John chapter 20 and verse 31. And it says this, it says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, meaning he is the Messiah. He is the savior, the son of God, meaning he is God, the son pointing to his divinity and that believing you may have life in his name. And so God doesn't just want you to just have some mental assent to who Jesus is, but he wants your life to be radically changed. He wants us to experience this thing called eternal life and if you can just write this down and we'll get there in a few weeks or whatever john chapter 17 and verse 3 it says when jesus is praying for 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 his disciples he's talking about eternal life and he says an eternal life is this it is to know what it is to know you the one true god and your son right it's to know someone eternal life is not something that i experience the day that i die eternal life is something i begin to experience the moment that i repent of my sin and i put my faith in jesus christ Because I begin to know a person who is eternal. And so I begin to experience a life that God wants me, wants you. He wants us to experience as those who put our faith in him. Now, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, it's okay because God has you here, not by coincidence, but because what? He wants you to have the opportunity to put your faith in him, to hear his gospel preach, And that way you can do what? Experience the life that God has for us. He wants all. He, he, he wants all. The Bible says that he wills that none perish, but that all would be saved and that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. And so it means to me that God is extending his invitation of salvation as far and as wide as he can, offering it to everyone who will hear and who will respond. And so here we find Jesus continuing his work of revelation. Last paragraph. Today we will look at how Jesus reveals himself as the barrier breaking. Zealous son, sacrificial savior, and consider the differing responses to Jesus by others as we examine our own faith. And the one thing that I don't ever want us to do is this. I don't don't ever want you to look at the Bible as though it's just some historical information for you to have. Because a lot of times we can look at stories in the scripture, and what we begin to do is we begin to look at the history, the historical value of what's there, and we see a story that's there, and we see someone's life that is there, and someone's response or irresponsiveness to God that is there, and then we look at that as though it's disconnected from us. But we need to realize that when we look into the Bible, we're looking into the mirror. And what we need to do is through the lives of these other people, we need to see ourselves. and We need to measure ourselves. We need to look at our faith. Look at how we are responding to Jesus. And so what I say that for is because I'm not just up here giving you some historic dissertation of what happened one day in the life of Jesus so that we can just go ahead and check off our religious box of stuff that we did. But I want us to really look at and internalize this and say, man, do I depict the people who responded in faith to Jesus? or do I I depict those who rejected Jesus do I depict those who who apparently because there's there's a few different groups of people in here there are some people that responded to Jesus and we'll see this at the end and it says that Jesus didn't commit himself to them though like he wasn't sure so so thinking about these responses it's important for us to look at and say okay how am I responding to Jesus and so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this say Jesus reveals a zeal that should consume us Jesus reveals a zeal that should consume us all. There is something that Jesus does in the beginning of this, and opening this chapter or opening this portion, Jesus is coming in on something that is called the Passover. And it's cool because in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate what we call Easter, but it is really synonymous with Passover. Because what happens is that is the time that, we, that that the Israelites, what they were doing, and even some still too today who are not believers in Jesus, they celebrate this thing called the Exodus. They celebrate this coming out, and so what happens, this coming out of Egypt, and so what happens is the story picks up for us in chapter 2, verse 13, and we'll read it together again so we can stay in context here. It says, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and the reason why Jesus went up to Jerusalem is because that is where we were all, where all the Israelites were called to celebrate this Passover feast, and so he goes up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money." changers doing business. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment because what happens is the reason why there are these people that are selling stuff in there. See, there wasn't something wrong with them having these animals in there. There wasn't anything wrong with them having the money that they were changing the money. There was nothing wrong with those particular things. Why? Well, because first of all, people were traveling from all over to come to Jerusalem therefore it was going to be hard for every single person to carry with them all of what all of the animals that they were going to sacrifice so it was a good thing by the temple for them to have the animals there so that way they could purchase animals so they could make sacrifices when they got there so there was nothing wrong with them having the animals there there was another thing you know a different currency was in different places but in jerusalem there was something called a temple tax Say temple tax you should be glad there was no temple tax here. Amen. I'm just saying. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't just come in here if, if, if there was a temple tax, if you didn't pay it at the door. Well, that's how it was there. But they didn't just accept anything, right? They didn't just accept any kind of money. There was a specific type of money that had to be there. Therefore, there had to be some exchange that was taking place. And so, again, there was nothing wrong with that, right? And, 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 just, the, and just the oversight of it was there was nothing wrong. Just when you look at it, you know, in plain value, there was nothing wrong with what they were doing. But Jesus sees them, and then the next verse says, when he had made a whip. I love this. He, drew, I, you know, I, I love reading this story. It just shows us that it's not Jesus meek and mild, you know, sitting my baby in a manger. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus didn't just stay that way. I mean, he's making a whip here, right? So he makes a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen and poured out, and, and poured out the money changer's of money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then verse 17 says, then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. See the Passover time, all of these Jewish people were coming in, in into this place in Jerusalem. And what happened was they the priest allowed for the money changers and the people who were selling these animals to make it a, a lucrative business. It was like, it was, it was almost as though when, when you think about, you know, Orlando is known for being, you know, one of the vacation capitals of the world, right? Because we have Disney World and, you know, all these different places, you know, nice beaches and stuff like that. And so what happens is you get all of these tourists here, right? And when you don't have tourists, you know, what happens? Well, all of the, the economy suffers. Well, guess what? They had tourists every year. At one feast, all of these tourists were coming into Jerusalem. And so they said, yo, you know what we can do? We can jack up the prices to exchange money. You know what we can do? We can sell these animals for more than what they they should be sold for. Because what? Because they have no other choice. Where where else are they going to go? Where else are they going to go exchange their money? There's nowhere else to exchange their money. Where else are they going to go ahead and get these animals? There's nowhere else for them to be able to do that. And when Jesus sees what's going on, this bothers him. It bothers him because of what? Because what was supposed to be happening was there was supposed to be a remembrance of the deliverance from Egypt. And the people were coming there to celebrate this amazing feast. And instead of them being able to focus on the father of the feast, they now had to focus on the cost of the feast. Instead of them being able to focus purely on God and who he is, purely on God and what he had done, instead of them being able to focus in on what, on the amazingness of God, they were more worried about, man, can I afford these sacrifices? They're more worried about, can I afford this exchange of money? Am I going to be able to have enough to be able to do what I'm here to do, which is to worship God? And the reason why I say that Jesus reveals a zeal that should consume us all is because every one of us should care about the worship of God. Are you here? Every one of us should care that there is no hindrance to the worship of God in the lives of others, nor should there be a hindrance in our lives to the worship of God. See, because when we think about worship, worship is central to Christianity. Like the Passover feast, we celebrate daily, or we should celebrate daily uh, in our individual lives, our deliverance from bondage. The Bible says when you talk about the word Egypt, it means the land of slavery or the land of bondage. And what happened was when God came in through his servant Moses and he delivered the people of Israel, he delivered them from slavery and bondage. And the same thing happened because of our deliverer, Jesus, who comes and he does what? He dies in our place. And when we put our faith in him, he delivers us from bondage to sin. He delivers us from slavery to sin. He sets us free. And so what should happen to us is on a daily basis, I should be celebrating my Passover lamb, which is who? Jesus Christ. But then there's something else that we do. When we get together every week, you know, um, Pastor Chad, I thought that was pretty cool. He said, he said that he asked someone a question. He said, do they do communion in their church every day or every, every service? And the person answered and said, what would church be without communion? And it's funny because a long time we didn't do communion every single service. It was something that we didn't do, something that we started to understand the need for the practice of this. It was not to be religious or ritualistic, but it was to constantly have a reminder of our Passover lamb. It is to constantly remind us, and the reason why we place it where we place it in our service is because we want you to realize this, is that being able to enter into worship is not because of how great the music is. I think the music is good. Can we give God a hand of praise for the music? Not just because I'm part of it. I just think it's good. I'm just saying, right? I'm just, you know, I think the music is good. I think that you know, we get in, and, and, and I think that we, you know, we enjoy playing for the glory of the Lord. But you don't worship better because we're good or we're bad. Your worship should not be dependent upon those things. Oh, are the harmonies right? Some of y'all are like I don't know what he's talking about, but others are like, yeah, they know when we're off, huh? <laughs> right, where well, the musician's tight, you know. And so, depending on your background, you know, some people they don't even under, they don't even think about any stuff like that. But other people they they can't they can't worship. As a Matter of fact, some people they come to a church. You want to know the first thing they judge? How's the music? How's the music? They they they, didn't, they don't they don't care about your doctrinal statements. They don't care about what you believe. They don't even care so much about the preaching, right? The the first thing they're going to do, you know, and and, and when I say the first thing, I'm talking about the first thing they do once they investigate. Really, the first thing they do is they check out the parking lot. You know, they look at the lobby. They look at the cleansing. A lot of people, the first place they go is to the bathroom. I'm just saying, I got to make sure I'm okay between the car and here. Something could have happened. I don't know. But anyway, you know, so ultimately they check that stuff out. But most people, they come to church and and, and they want to see how the music made them feel. They don't care about what really matters, which is what? Man, is the gospel central? Is, is sound doctrine being adhered to, not just talked about? Are people really living the truth? See, those things really matter. And so what happens for us is that, you know, we get caught up in the emotion of stuff. But the reason why we put communion right here in the middle of our faster songs into our slower songs is because we want you to go into the slower songs when it's really time for meditation, when it's really time. See, see I, I look at the faster songs like this, and y'all forgive me if I sound carnal when I say this. The faster songs like to wake you up. Hello. I'm just saying, it's, it's about Jesus, but I'm going to wake you up pointing to Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, and hopefully you get a little aerobics in there. I'm just saying, like, clap your hands, get your blood flowing, right? You came in here, especially today, y'all need an extra wake-up call. I'm just saying, right? Y'all missed an hour of sleep, and I sent out a text to try to be encouraging, hey, man, we lose an hour of sleep, but we get to worship God an hour earlier together, right? So all about perspective, you know what I'm saying? Some of y'all are like, yeah, I wish I could have got that extra hour of sleep. But I felt the same way, glory to God, right? But the beauty of it is, is that after we have our spiritual aerobics and we're nice and awake, right, then we come into this place and this moment where we are able to look at this thing called communion, And what communion is, is it's a remembrance of this amazing sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And the reality, the reminder that I am able to enter into the presence of Almighty God, not because of how good or how bad the music is, not because of how good or bad I am, but because of how good and amazing he is. See, and, 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 and then when I come into the place where I'm contemplating and I'm thinking about the songs that we're singing during the slower time of worship, I have reflected on what Jesus has done, and then I'm able to enter into worship not based upon anything other than the blood of the Lamb. See, Passover was supposed to be that mindset, but what was happening was there were hindrances to people being able to worship. As a matter of fact, some writers say that the reason why Jesus was so bothered by this is because of where these tables and this stuff was going on. They, say he, they, they Because it was going on. It couldn't happen in the inner courts of the temple. It had to happen in a, in, a, in a court called the Gentile court. And the Gentile court was like a court where all of us, because we wouldn't be allowed, unless you're Jewish, you wouldn't have been allowed to go into the holier place. You could only come into the Gentile court. And you know what the problem is? Is that Jesus wanted everyone to do what? To hear this gospel, and instead they were being raped. Are you hearing me? Instead, they were being taken advantage of. Instead of the truth being proclaimed, instead of the reminder being given, instead of the offer being extended, they were more worried about making money, they were more worried about what they were going to be getting. See, here's the thing, church. We cannot allow anything to become more important than the pure worship of our God based upon the finished work of Jesus. Grace must always be our motivation in worship. We can't allow our works to be the focus or our sacrifices or anything like that, but everything must pale in comparison to the glory of the one we worship. Let me say it to you like this. Worship isn't even about you. The aerobic part is hello. I'm just kidding. I'm just saying. I mean seriously, that part is to get you moving, to get you, you know, to get you think. But listen, worship is not about what you receive. Worship is about what you give. See, we have it twisted. We have it backwards. We think that worship is about what I get out of it. The question is, what did you come to give? Who did you come? Oh well, you know, I don't feel anything. Wait, wait a second. Do you feel something for your God? Because when you look at the sacrifices that we see in the scriptures, worship was never about what they felt. It is about what they knew. It is about who they were offering to. See, worship, when you look at it in its basis sense, it's doing what? It is giving something, not getting anything. See, we need to have that mindset. And what we need to do is get out of our way whatever it is that hinders our worship. What we need to do is, remember, you know, when I think about stories that I've heard of people that, you know, walked into churches, and, and some of y'all will, will, will be able to relate to this. I've never experienced anything like this. This is horrendous. But, you know, people walk into churches, and because they have a goatee, obviously I've never experienced this, they get called out like they're going to hell because they have facial hair. They get told about themselves like, you can't worship God with facial hair. Really? I'm just saying, read your Bible. They worship. You couldn't even shave the side of their face. I'm just saying. That's what the Bible said. But ultimately, what we understand here is that we put obstacles. If you're not dressed a certain way, oh, you, know, you you can't worship here. Listen, you should, be, you should feel welcome because Jesus welcomes us. He welcomes us. Not because of how great we are again. It is because of how great he is. The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is they say, Jesus reveals his violent death. And victorious resurrection. Jesus reveals his violent death and his victorious resurrection. And so look at verse 18. And verse 18 it says, This it says, So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. There it is, right there. He reveals his 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 death that is going to be violent, right? Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. He reveals his, 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 his victorious resurrection. And verse 20, it says, And the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. Will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, that, that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture... And the word which Jesus had said. And so the first thing that we find here is Jesus comes in on Passover and he begins to, his ministry begins to take on a different form. Why? Because he is the Passover lamb. And what is happening is up until this point, people are not seeing the Passover lamb the way that they should. And so he reveals himself. And then what happens is this, and th- th- this is amazing to me. He, he goes in here and he is flipping over tables. He is driving people out of the temple. He is making a point, letting them know that you guys are in sin and you guys are making my father's house a house of merchandise rather than a house of prayer for all people, right? This is what he's saying. He's rebuking them. And you know what they do? Instead of them repenting of their sin, they begin to say, well, prove to us why you have a right to do this. See, we talked about responses. See, here's the thing for us that we got to think about. Many times someone will come, God, and I will say it like this. God will bring someone to us who we don't necessarily think they have a right to speak to us. Somehow they are spiritually inferior to us, less than us in some way, shape, or form. Someone who we don't really need to listen to. And he will bring them to us with something. And instead of us saying, man, God, I need to repent because your word says this, we decide to ask them for signs. Where do you get a right to talk to me like that? You know, how are you going to speak to me that way? Come on now. And these people, they did the same exact thing. Jesus goes in there, flips over the tables, rebukes them, and then what? Well, his disciples, they were, they were stirred. You know, they remembered something later on of what the scriptures communicated about Jesus. But these people weren't like that. These people were hard-hearted. They're like, man, show us some signs. Before we believe the word, we need to see signs. That's, that's bad theology. Before we believe, we need to see some stuff. So in response to Jesus cleansing the temple, rather than repenting of their sins and recognizing their error, the Jews asked Jesus to justify his actions by a sign. And what I'm saying is this, is we must never seek further confirmation of anything where the word of God is clear. See, it's one thing when I'm asking a question to God, like, you know, for example, you know, should I buy this house? Should I buy this car? Should I marry this person? See, those things are not written out clearly in your Bible. Are you here? And it's okay to go ahead and seek confirmation on those things, like to make sure that that is the will of God, right? It's okay to do that. But when the Bible says, husbands, love your wives. That's pretty plain. That's pretty clear, isn't it? The Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord. Those are pretty clear. I don't need to get four or five different confirmations of that. It's pretty clear. Right? Like That's what the Scriptures teach. It tells us as employees to act a certain way, as employers to act a certain way. It tells us that we're to love one another. I don't need to go ahead and seek, oh, man, I don't know, man, if I should love other people. Wait a second. Time out. The Bible was clear on that. There's no need to, to seek confirmation. It's true. What you need to do is repent, recognize where you're wrong, trust Jesus to give you the faith to be able to do what he says. See, that's what should happen. That's, that's what should be occurring. And Jesus comes onto the scene, and he communicates to them this, this. He says this to them. He says, you all want a sign? He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And what Jesus does for us here is he gives us the gospel, clearly right? He says, destroy this temple. What are you talking about? He's talking about the violent death that he's going to undergo because men are sinful, because men are separated from God, because they are on their way to hell. Guess what? He has to die this violent death. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to die this violent death at the hands of men. The ones that he is actually dying for are the ones who are going to put him on this cross. This is what he does. Men are on their way to hell, separated from God. They have no hope. If you don't know Jesus in this place, apart from him, you are hopeless. If he is not Lord of your life, apart from him, you are hopeless. You are on your way to an eternity of damnation, of condemnation, of suffering in hell. That's just the reality. All of us were on that same track, on that same road, and we were separated from God because of what? Of this thing called sin or lawlessness or breaking of God's law. But the beauty of it is this, is that he doesn't just talk about a death alone. He talks about a resurrection. He says, and in three days, I'll raise it up. And so what he does, he talks about this, vi- this violent, vicious death that he's going to experience. But then he talks about being raised up. And what we know is that in between all of that is while Jesus is on the cross, he is paying a price for every single sin of mankind. Are you here? He is dying in the place of man. He is doing for man what man cannot do for himself because we cannot save ourselves. We can do nothing to earn a right standing with God except trust Jesus and put our faith in him. So Jesus reminds them or lets them know about this, and then his disciples remember what? They remember this when he resurrects. They're like, oh, that's what he meant. See, they were blinded again. The people that were there, because of the hardness of their hearts, they were blinded again to the revelation that Jesus was trying to bring to them. See, because this sign of this, this, um, this, this, this temple being destroyed, this should have been the sign that silenced everyone. It should have been, been made known to everyone. But you know what happened when you read your Bible and you continue through the scriptures? You find that even after they crucified Jesus, even after Jesus resurrected, they were still hard in their hearts. They still rejected him. And so thinking about that, how do you respond to Jesus? How are you responding to his word? And his disciples, they, 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 they believe. Look what it says here in verse 22. It says, therefore, when he had risen from the dead. See, this is the beauty of this, is that we are on the other side of the resurrection, meaning that we already have the proof that Jesus rose. Amen? Amen. We already have the proof that Jesus is alive. We already have the proof that Jesus is on the throne. We already have the proof that Jesus is returning for us. And so we're not like his disciples who were there still trying to figure this thing out. They had just started walking with him. You know, they're, they're, they're hanging out with him for a couple of days. I mean, really, it's been like a, a, little, a little bit of time. And the guy goes into a temple, starts flipping tables. We're like, okay. Like, who is he? You know what I mean? Okay. So they start to, that's why it's telling us after, after this resurrection is when they got the full revelation of who he was. And it says there, it says, Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said to them what he had said to them, and they believed the scripture. So first of all, they believe the scripture because when Jesus is communicating, he's communicating the word of God. See, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus fulfilled like 109 prophecies. In the Old Testament, before the scripture that we read in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is written like 600 years before Jesus came onto the earth. And this prophecy about his death that we read every single Sunday, that was written like 600 years before he came onto the scene and he fulfilled it to the T. He fulfilled every single thing there. And so these 109 scriptures, these 109 prophecies that only he could fulfill, he fulfills all of them. And so his disciples believe what? They believe based on the resurrection, but what they believe is they believe the scriptures and then they believe the words that Jesus was communicating. See, Jesus fulfilled this prophecy and others in the word that pointed to his resurrection, making our faith solid. We should should not be seeking signs, but we should be seeking the risen Savior. Church, what makes our faith strong is not all of the experiences that we have. Because here's the thing. Sometimes experiences stop. Are you hearing me? Sometimes you're not experienced. I don't know about anybody else in this room, but there are some times that I go into my prayer closet and it is like the heavens are open. And then there are other times I go into my prayer closet, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I feel like I'm alone, and it's getting smaller, right? I'm, like, struggling to stay awake. You know, I'm trying to pray, and it's like I I can't even break through the ceiling. But here's my question. Where is my faith? Is my faith in what I am feeling at the moment, or is my faith in the Word of God? Is my faith and what the scriptures communicate? Because here's the thing I can tell you this if I go by my feelings, I don't, I'm not going to go back the next day to pray. What's the point? See, and then I, I have to confess this and be totally honest there's sometimes it is like that for a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month. Sometimes I don't have like a breakthrough. So, what happens? Do I stop going to a prayer closet until I feel something? Hello, that's crazy. What happens is our faith needs to be solid in what? Well, their faith was solid because of the resurrection of Jesus and because of what the scripture said. He fulfilled these scriptures. Therefore, his faith is solid. It's the same thing for us, church. Our faith is solidified in the word of God because it has been confirmed through what? The resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus gives me, listen, what separates Christianity from all other religions is what? It's a risen savior. That's what it is. You have a God who is living. All these other gods are dead. But we have a Savior who walked this earth, lived a perfect life, died in our place, rose from the dead, is seated in glory, and will return. And the reason why 2,000 years uh, 2, years later, I'm over here with an elevated voice communicating to you is because something really happened 2,000 years ago. And guess what? 20 years ago, he changed my life. Therefore, guess what? I'm proof of this resurrection. Many of you are proof of this resurrection. The reason that you are here is because this risen Savior revealed himself to you. Maybe he revealed himself to you through a preaching or through a teaching or through a circumstance, but nonetheless, the risen Savior, revealed himself. But what solidifies our faith is not a one-time experience, but it is us growing in a relationship with who he is through his word. That is how we grow in our faith. That is how we grow in our relationship with Jesus. It is through the word of God because his word has been confirmed by his life. We have been given this amazing privilege to know On this side of the resurrection, he rose. He's alive. He's faithful to his word. And so my faith can be solid in him. The third thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, Jesus reveals his divine knowledge of the heart of man. See, now this one, this part of the text just messed me up, just to be completely honest with you. It says here, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. That sounds good, doesn't it? Many believed in his name. But then verse 24, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And had no need that anyone should testify, man, for he knew what was in him. That's messed up, man, right? I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously. Like, when I read that, I'm like, yes, we believed, and then it's like, nah. Did you believe? And this is not to cause you to question your faith on the negative side of it, but this is to really measure your faith and understand that God knows all. The way, the way that this is written, I mean, when, when, when you look at this here, John gives us no specific sign but says that the result was apparent faith, yet Jesus doesn't commit himself to them. The way way that this is actually written is that it can actually say this. It says that Jesus didn't believe in their belief. Are you hearing me? This is crazy. Jesus didn't believe in their belief. It says that they believed because of the signs. But these are the same people, as we continue on through John, you're going to see that they're the first ones saying crucify him. Now, when he goes there and he preaches them, and you'll see it when we get to that portion of the text, when he goes to them and he talks to them about, you know, his flesh and talks about, you know, them eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood, they all do what? They're like, oh, we got to go. This is hard teaching. Once the teaching got hard, their commitment to Jesus was like, oh, nope, we're not really. And so what Jesus is simply saying, I'm not going to commit myself to them. I, 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 don't, I don't see this genuine faith inside of them. There's something that is lacking inside of them. See, these people believe the signs. They were moved by the miracles and touched by the revelation of God's power, but apparently weren't committed to the Savior. Did you hear what I just said? They were believing because of the signs. They were moved by the miraculous, and they were touched by the revelation of God's power, but apparently they weren't committed to the Savior. Hear me when I say this. People who want his works but not his word will never share his life. People who want his works, they want his power, they want his manifestation, but they don't want his word, never share his life. You will never experience the life that God has for you when the only thing you're doing is seeking signs, seeking wonders, seeking after all of these other things instead of seeking the risen Savior. Seeking a person in his word, seeking him in a relationship. See, here's the thing. He said, he said this at the end. He said, because, verse 25, he said, and he had, had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. But see, here's the thing. Most of us, like, we get excited when the crowds come, right? Like, I, I can be honest with you. When, when, I, when we start service sometimes, and, you know, some of you got up a little late, amen, glory to God. And you come a little late and, you know, their sides are empty and there's just like a couple of rows of people in here. You know, my, there, there's a part of me there, and I'm just, I'm confessing my heart, so don't get offended when I say this. You know, I'm excited about Jesus, but I'm discouraged about the building. Hello. Are you hearing me? I'm like, man, I hope these people get here. Glory to God. All right? There's a different level of excitement. Listen, you know, I'm talking about me. If you walk into this place and there ain't no one in here, you're like, man, there's something missing. Hello. You as a matter of fact psychologically this is what they this is what they say psychologically people who talk about church growth there is two things you have to be conscious of one of them is you have to be conscious of a building that's too big because if the building is too big it seems empty even if there's a bunch of people in there it seems empty right because psychologically people walk in and man it's empty the other thing you have to be careful of is what we're bordering on which is a building that is not big enough because then people come in and like man there's too many people here right <laughs> So one of them is like, I don't want to be here because there's no one here. The other one is, there's too many people here, so I don't want to be here. People just don't want to be places. I'm just saying. I've come to that conclusion, right? People will find excuses just not to come. That's the the bottom line. But the reality is, we get moved by numbers, whether it's in the positive or the negative. Jesus could care less. Jesus wasn't moved by, he wasn't moved by the crowds. He wasn't validated by the crowds. Jesus was concerned with one thing, and that was genuine faith that resulted in a life that was changed and that was and that what it produced was a worship, a life of worship. He wasn't moved by the crowds, y'all. Jesus is never moved by the masses. He's moved by the hearts of people. When you read your Bible, man, Jesus had the masses that followed him, but he didn't hang out with the masses. He hung out with 12. And even in the midst of 12, he hung out with three. And and, and even in the midst of the three, there was only one that laid his head on his chest, and that's the writer of this gospel. So what that tells me about Jesus is that Jesus really cares about those who are devoted to him. And here is the thing. Jesus knows your heart. He knows your heart. You can't fake him out. You can't be like, oh, all excited one moment and then be like, yeah, this is the real thing. He knows your heart. So the question for us is, how are or how have we been responding to Jesus? That's the question as I'm closing this message. How have you and how are you responding to the revelation of Jesus? See, here's the thing that should be happening, church, is that we grow in our faith progressively, not overnight, our faith should be more evident in our worship of God. Obedience of his word motivated by his continual revelation of grace. That's what worship is. Listen, part of worship is what we did earlier today. Part of worship is when we sing songs. That's, part, that's a part of worship. But that is not worship in its fullness. Worship is living in obedience to the word of God. And it's not doing things to get something. It's doing what I do because I already have something. See, that is the difference between real worship and false worship. See, when I worship because I'm trying to earn God's favor, when I obey because I'm trying to get something from God, then I really don't have an understanding of the grace of God. But see, when I begin to worship God because of what he has done, when my motivation is because of what he has shown me that he's completed, now I'm a worshiper. Now I'm obeying, not because I get stuff. See, because, listen, and, and I can confess to you. I don't have a problem confessing, as you can see. The truth of the matter is, I've been on both sides of the boat, man. I've been on the side of the boat where I'm doing everything right because I need something from God. Where I want to make sure I walk that straight and narrow because I, I need to make sure I'm in the blessing. Right. <laughs> like manipulating God, you know? And like, like, like that can happen, you know what I'm saying? And so I, I've been there. But I thank God that he liberated me from that mindset where now I walk the straight and narrow because of what? Because the one I get to walk on the straight and narrow with. Because I already have everything. It's already mine because he said it. He died so I could have it. I don't need to earn anything. All I need to do is walk in it. That's it. I need to live in communion with him. And I want to honor him. Not because he's going to give me stuff, but because he's already given me everything I could ever ask for. So here's my question for you as we talk about this worship. Jesus broke down these obstacles. What are the obstacles that keep you from being all in? Maybe it's false standards of worship. We talked about some stuff where, you know, some churches you can't go there. If you have facial hair, you know, for some places, you know, there are certain you just can't do stuff. You know, I saw a stupid post the other day on Facebook. It said that if you have a tattoo, you're not a good mom. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard on the planet. You know. But then I was going to comment on the post and say, well, are you being just as judgmental by judging them? But anyway, that's just my thought, you know. <laughs> ignorance is ignorance, right? right? But the truth of the matter is, you know, we put all these things. But is, is, is that the issue? Is that what's hindering you? Is, is that, man, you have these false, you know, ideas of what, what worship is supposed to be. Maybe you have, have, have had some past bad experiences, Maybe that's the reason why you don't press in. Maybe that's the reason why you don't go all in because you've had some bad experiences in the past. Listen, I wish I could promise you you will never have another bad experience again. But as long as you are on this earth among other people that are in this flesh, you're going to have some bad experiences. But all I can say is your experiences can be different if you walk with Jesus. Because no matter how bad they are, he makes them better. So maybe that's your issue, I don't know. Or maybe you have some present fears or doubts. Maybe, you, maybe there's something going on inside you that's present, some issues that you're dealing with that are obstacles. Here's what I want you to know is that Jesus came to break down every barrier to our worship. His death and resurrection offer us unhindered access to God. And so the question is, have you trusted him? That's the bottom line. Have you trusted him? Stand to your feet and let's pray. I'm going to ask you to grab your neighbor's hand right now, and I'm going to ask you to pray for that person that's beside you. And I'm just going to ask you this question. As you're there, child of God, if you're a believer, you're a child of God. You don't need a pastor to pray for you. What you need is you need the Spirit of God to do something in your life. But if you're there in your seat and you say, man, I want to be all in. I want to be all in, but there's something hindering me. There's something that is holding me back. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to squeeze your neighbor's hand. And so as, as right now, if there's something that's hindering you from being all in, I want you to squeeze your neighbor's hand. Just you know how to break it, okay? Don't break it, all right? Just a little squeeze. We don't want you, you know. Just let them know that you need someone to pray for you. And if someone squeezed your hand, I want you to pray. As I pray this general prayer, I want you to pray for that person beside you. I want you to have to yell loud. I'm going to be loud enough for all of us. But, I, but what I want you to do is I want you to pray. I want you to lift up your voice for that person. That whatever is hindering, whatever is blocking, whatever is keeping them back from walking and, and, and all in with Jesus, that today that that barrier would be broken down in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for this day. And Lord God, I thank you for every hand that was squeezed in this place. I thank you for even those who may have been afraid to squeeze someone's hand, God. Father, but you see the barriers that are there, my God. The barriers to entering in, my God. Whatever those barriers are, Father, right now, in the mighty name of Jesus, we come together as your people and we pray that those barriers break down right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, my God. We pray right now that you would break every chain, my God. We pray right now that you would release them Lord Jesus, that they would be able to enter in unhindered, not because of themselves, not because of anything else, but simply because of the revelation of your grace, my God. Today, my Lord, let the power of your Holy Spirit fill lives as never before. Today, Lord God, let the grace of your glory and power be manifested in every life in this place. Oh, Father God, I pray that they would experience and know the wonder of who you are, my God, as never before. I pray that today that they would release oh Lord God that they would be freed from their past my God that they would be freed from fears and doubts that they would be freed from whatever is hindering them and that now Lord God that today Lord God would be a new day of intimacy with you my God Father whatever is hindered my God whatever is held back my God Father today by the power of your gospel Lord God free them In Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.